The Ringer Wrestling Show is getting you closer to all things pro wrestling. The Masked Man Show with David and Kaz drops every Thursday on the feed, along with a new show hosted by pro wrestling superfan Evan Mack called Mac Mania. Plus, hear instant reactions to all the biggest WWE pay-per-view events with their post-pay-per-view shows. Check out The Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, thank you for listening to The Void. We have a very special guest today, Wozni Lambre, who hosts Weekends with Woz and is a co-host on Group Chat on the Ringer NBA show feed. He also has Full Court Fits on the Ringer's YouTube page. He's also just an excellent Twitter follow. I'm excited to talk with Woz today about the Suns. We touched on All-Star Reserves a little bit towards the end of our conversation. We got into a lot about some of the contenders across the NBA, like the Suns and the Jazz and what they should do, as well as some of the latest news on the Washington Wizards. Here's my conversation with Waz. It's Waz week. Waz, what's going on? How you doing? Thanks for joining the void. I'm good. Thank you, man. You know what's so funny um, is I came up with the term Waz week at one of my other jobs because I did like literally like four or five of our podcast properties in one week. And I started calling that Waz week. And then I just transferred it to my birthday week. <laughs> Because <laughs> as you know, KOC, I'm a bad bitch. So it's my it doubles as my birthday week now. <laughs> hey, when, when, what day is your birthday, was? Uh February 6th. So this what, Sunday, um, I'll be 35 years old. 35, 35 years old. Yeah, I'm, I'm marching on the way to 40, KOC. I mean, every every year, grow wiser, grow smarter, right? Every year we're getting better, right? <laughs> Memory starts to fade more. Uh, back a little bit creakier. Knees starting to be a little bit sore after a hike, but, you know, we're maintaining somehow. Well, uh, happy early birthday. We're recording this on Wednesday Thank morning. Uh, on Tuesday night, the Phoenix Suns beat the Brooklyn Nets 121-111. to 111. It's their 11th win in a row. They, of course, had an 18-game win streak earlier this season, and now they're 41-9 and nine on the season. That's a 67-win pace, was. And, like, you think about the Suns team, they start off 1-3, and three, then have their 18 game win streak. Then they have a 11 and six stretch. They sputtered 11 and six. 
an 11-game winning streak since on pace for 67 wins. With, with this Suns team, man, like I, I was watching them beat Brooklyn last night, and I'm just watching them thinking, this is a complete team. They're so in sync on defense. That offense, the way it clicks with Chris Paul keeping it all together at 36 years old, Devin Booker, the scorer. This is an unselfish team. Reminds me of the Spurs with their ability just to embrace roles. I don't know, man. Like I, I just, that's just a thought in my mind watching them last night is they're the favorite. Um, they are the favorite in the NBA right now. And they've taken what they did last season, go into the finals and leveled it up this year. Um, do you believe that they could be that type of team for the first time since the Warriors in 16, 17 to get to 67 wins? Does this team have that upside for real? Yeah, they absolutely have the upside to win 67 teams. And I think the reason why they're the favorite and why you have to think of them that way, one of the reasons why they can get the 67 wins is because they're one of these high-energy every-single-night teams. They're not like, oh, we're bored of the regular season. We're bored of accomplishments that can happen during the course of a season. No, we want we want to get number one in the West. We want to break our franchise record for wins. We want um, as many All-Stars as possible. We want our guys talked about as MVPs. They want all of it. So that's why they can achieve it. They want it, plus they have the requisite talent. And I think the reason why you have to think of them as the favorite is because we always use the cliche, you know, styles make fights and in the playoffs, it's all matchup dependent. The Suns are one of those teams who can shift what they do depending on the matchup, right? Uh, you think about a team like Golden State who eventually in the playoffs, they're going to throw Draymond at the five. They're going to spread you out and they're going to force, try to force you out of your big man. If the Suns don't like what Aiton is giving them, they can play Crowder at the five and then have Mikael Bridges out there, Cam Johnson, Chris Paul, and uh, Devin Booker, which, of course, spreads you out. That's a five-out lineup. They got different ball handlers. They got switchable guys. Campaign can come in and man the ship in the Chris Paul minutes when he's resting briefly in those most important series. I just think their positional versatility up and down the roster, right? Like Campaign in the playoffs last year, he was a viable option as backup point guard. He was scoring. He was distributing. He wasn't getting destroyed on defense. And, of course, we've seen what guys like Bridges and Crowder and Cam Johnson did at the wing positions. And different matchups, Aiton was a problem. Like, he went toe-to-toe with AD. Uh, you couldn't put your little guards on him on switches because I think the Suns are going to see a lot of switches in the playoffs. It's a dangerous proposition to put a 6'4 guy on Aiton in a way that it's not with Rudy Gobert, right, on the offensive side. I just think... They present so many problems for teams matchup-wise and their execution. They're a smart team. Um, yeah, you got to look at them as the favorite because of all of those things. Yeah, you're right. They're a smart team. They they execute the Monty Williams system game plan to absolute perfection. And, and so much of that comes from Chris Paul. I don't know, man. Like last night, I, I was just watching that game thinking to myself like, damn. Chris Paul's 36 years old and still doing it at the level that he's doing it now. I mean, I guess maybe I was thinking about that more because you get the Tom Brady retirement this year at 44 years old and him still being on top of his game. And with Chris Paul at 36 still doing this, it's like there's there's no end in sight for him. And I remember last year when I interviewed James Jones for a story I did on the Suns, I'm like, do you have a, a, like a succession plan? 
in place for Chris Paul. Like, what, what do you think about for the future, about replacing a guy like him? And he says the succession plan for Chris Paul might be more Chris Paul. It's like, like who's to say this guy's going to stop playing? And I don't know, dude. Like, you, you got you got him and Devin Booker both taking over half their shots from mid-range. They, they play this classic style in a, in a modern context. And that, for me, makes watching the Suns just really, really enjoyable because they do modernize things like you know, spot-up three-point shooters. The way they play is very analytically based, but they also, within that context, have two guys that somebody who's like, oh, I love 90s basketball. I love the early 2000s. You know, like you and I, man, like we grew up Watching T Mac and AI and Kobe, like I, I had so many late nights on the, growing up on the East Coast, staying up late to watch, I don't know, Lakers Kings game because I wanted to watch Kobe. And the Suns kind of give you give us a taste of that. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I just love watching them. Yeah, I, man. What what I think is cool too is that Chris Paul's teams traditionally weren't teams that got out and ran. They're up in pace this year, even with Chris Paul being at the helm, Like, which, again, is a, another new wrinkle which shows you Chris Paul's adaptability. I just think the coolest thing about having Chris Paul on this team is that his best tendencies has rubbed off on guys in that they hunt the absolute best possible outcomes on every possession. It's rare that they waste possessions where a guy does something that you're just like, come on. With the lineup out there, we could have found something better than to, you know, take a step back, 20-footer, 2.20-footer from you name the person, right? Like, everybody on the team is concentrated on maximizing possession. You take a guy like Aiton, who hasn't been paid yet, right? Famously, this summer, they weren't able to come to the extension, which, you know, <laughs> I know cost, caused the whole hullabaloo. But, like, that dude is falling in line. He's not, like, doing the, you know, Dwight Howard act from 10 years ago. It's like, no, I need my post touches and my one-on-ones yeah. and all of that. <laughs> no, he's just like, yo, what is the best way for the Phoenix Suns to win? To, to, what, what can I do with my talents, my gifts, my abilities that allows for my team to play the best and to win. And he's going out and doing it. He's going out and rim running. He's going out and pain protecting. He's going out and attacking mismatches. You know, it's just cool to see the Chris Paul mentality to the game permeate throughout the entire roster, right? And just the ball movement. You know, I remember... (laughs) I remember in Houston when the reports would come out where Chris Paul was like, my problem with James Harden is like, he doesn't think anything can be done after he passes the ball. Like to him, just everything I do when I have it is enough. When I don't, this is my rest time. And to watch guys like Mikael Bridges be so good um, cutting off the ball, Booker has become such an incredible guy off the ball as far as going through screens and just being like, a Ray, baby Ray Allen, baby Reggie Miller type to add to his on-ball juice. I just like the IQ that permeates the entire team. And it obviously flows from having Chris Paul be the emotional center of the team. Yeah, no doubt about it. So much of that comes from Chris Paul. And with him, uh, it's it's interesting because I, I think like he definitely rubs off on Booker in a really positive way. At the beginning of last season, their first year together, there's like a little bit of clunkiness as Booker's adjusting back to playing with that off ball stuff that he did back in Kentucky. Like he was, that's what he did in college, and and he brought that back. And I don't know the way those guys play together now; it, they are just absolutely incredible. And one of the things you said was is about how this team has the ability to play small if they want to, and like I don't think they necessarily have the idea. Ideal 
small five, like Sharich might be that for them, but like he's even not the ideal guy. But you do need depth at guard and wing to do that. And and Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report uh, said this morning that Eric Gordon is a trade target for the Phoenix Suns in addition to the Cavs and the Pelicans. I think the Suns are in an, a spot here where, yeah, you might risk screwing with your team chemistry a little bit by making a trade, but I think the chemistry is so strong that this team could swap somebody out and bring in another talented player like Eric Gordon, and it would be a seamless, you know, transition. This, is like, I, I think for them, they could take him on easily. And like, do you feel like Phoenix is at a point that even though they're on a sixty-seven win pace right now, even though they're forty-one and nine, that they should be aggressive here and saying, "Yeah, we are on top, but we want to be even better." I, I kind of I respect that personally, but what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so long as you bring in a high motor, high IQ guy, I don't think like it's a Gordon. problem. Like Gordon, one hundred percent. Now, if they went out and they were like, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, make a talent play for, say, uh, I don't know, Cam Reddish," I'd be like, "Ugh." What are you doing that for? I know you can never have enough wing depth in the NBA, but I'd be like, that guy is a horrible cultural fit, horrible just philosophical fit with what they do, right? With the ball movement, with, you know, basically busting your ass on defense. I don't see a problem with that. And where I would disagree with you about they don't have the ideal small lineup five is that you're worried about that with Golden State. I think if... The Lakers were more of a threat right now. I'd be like, yeah, you have to play Aiton at all times against AD. You can't guard AD with Crowder. But Draymond Green, yeah, you can guard Draymond Green with Crowder and not have any issues because he's just not somebody who bludgeons smaller people. You don't have to worry about him as a vertical threat. I think the Warriors specifically, the Suns can go small against them and do a credible job switching everything and guarding people because Draymond's just, you know, even if you put campaign on them, you're not going to, because Golden State just doesn't want to do stuff like that. They don't want to isolate Draymond Green against some perceived mismatch. They're never going to do that, right? And well, so even even Phoenix, when Draymond does post up, like doesn't his like sometimes he has his back turned, he's not even looking to score. He's exactly. only thinking about passing. <laughs> exactly. And so I think they're positioned to guard Golden State just fine with um, the guys that they got on the roster right now. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Who do you think is the best fit for an Eric Gordon trade? Because Houston should trade him. They, they can get a first out of him. Cleveland? New Orleans? I think he would do great on Cleveland because he provides secondary shot creation, right? Um, again, love Evan Mobley. I don't think he's a shot creator yet at this point in his career. Save your daggers, Cleveland fans. Um, I think the <laughs> Lakers... You're, you're being fair, man. He does everything else. Yeah, obviously the Lakers could use him. Um, we mentioned the Suns. Milwaukee could use him, right? I think he's way better than DiVincenzo, but, you know, they've they've been really high on a DiVincenzo type of guy. So all the teams that are trying to 
you know, basically accomplish something in the postseason this year, I think could use him. Um, but yeah, Cleveland, I think that would be a great fit just because, you know, attacking closeouts, especially when you consider the amount of gravity around the Garland and Mobley pick and rolls, that guy attacking closeouts, having range out to like 25 feet, which doesn't get talked about enough. Like, he, not just that he's a floor spacer, but like he's one of those dudes who can be three feet behind the three-point line and let that thing fly, which creates even more spacing for the team. Um, I think those, you know, those teams we mentioned would be perfect for Gordon. But I, admittedly, I feel like I'm a bit higher on Eric Gordon than the general basketball view in public is. Well, why? Why do you think that is? Like, has he just become underrated, getting lost in Houston? Because he's been around a long time. People know Eric Gordon's game. He competed in the playoffs for years with Houston. Is it? Is it that he's just on a loser now? Yeah, you got to figure the last time he played meaningful basketball was in the bubble while his team was getting crushed in five games, right? So you tend to forget. I think people like, say, a Mikael Bridges or, say, uh, I don't know, um, a Brooke Lopez, right? These are, like, very good, high-quality role guys. But guess what? They got to do it into the finals last year. So people have an understanding, like, no, these are quality pieces. We watched them do perform valuable tasks on teams that went really far. Eric Gordon hasn't been able to do that, so he's not top of mind for people. To, but I just have a distinct memory of just every time he caught it, he had an open spot up. It was cash, you know. And again, he holds up defensively. You're not gonna, He's not that tall or that long, but you're not just going to be able to bully him around, you know, with guys. And so I, I just think he brings a lot of things that you need in a playoff setting, right? Like understanding what defenses are trying to do to you, punishing rotating defenses with either quick release open jump shots or attacking closeouts. Uh, I think he can attack switches against big men. I do think he has a, enough on-ball juice to take guys to the rack off the dribble when they try to switch a big man onto him. I just think he does a lot that you need that we see every year in the playoffs. Teams like Phoenix, the um, the Warriors, they do that beautiful game continuity stuff in the regular season, and it's nice. <laughs> you know, purists like us were like, oh, look at the ball moving. It's whizzing around. Oh, my God. Look at the passing. Look at the touch. <laughs> look at the shooting. We love it in the regular season. And in the playoffs, what happens? Possessions, way down. Half-court offense, bogged down to one-on-one -on -one shot creation. We see it every single year. And I think, again, or teams loading up on your best players and they being like, all right, these other guys have to make shots and make us pay for loading up on your superstar type of guys. I just think all the things that we see in the playoffs that need to be done every year, Gordon checks off a lot of those boxes. You mentioned Gordon's isolations. You want to hear a nerdy stat right here? This is from yes, Second let's Spectrum. Do it. Uh, a minimum 100 isolations logged this season. Um, when Eric Gordon isolates, the Rockets are scoring 1.2 points per chance. So Jesus. that leads the NBA. That's a 120 offensive rating, folks. Yeah, yeah. Of the 79 players to log at least 100 isolations, Eric Gordon on this crappy Rockets team is number one in the NBA. Towns, Jokic next. I mean, like the DeRozan sixth, like Butler's eighth, Harden's ninth. Some names that you'd think are, are high on the standing. Like even Gary Trent. I think Gary Trent would be a popular. Yeah, he's a good ISO player, but Eric Gordon number one so far. And I, th I think you're right about him. He, 
with the ISO scoring, with just the toughness on defense, like that guy plays hard. And just his ability to keep the ball moving within the flow of the offense, too. He's selfless. He brings so much of what you look for for a playoff team, a team that has finals hopes. Does Jeremy Grant fall into that same bucket? Because he's the guy everybody talks about. Another guy that I'm really high on um, because of his positional versatility, specifically on defense. I think he's nimble enough to guard some of your two guards. He's has just enough strength to do it against fours, and obviously he's the prototypical three defender. He's shown in the past that he can knock down wide-open threes. He's not like some high-volume, difficult three-pointers like he's catching it on the run or off the dribble. No, 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 no. But if you stick him in a corner and he's open because your superstars are getting loaded up on and you got teams in, in, in defensive rotation, he can make those shots. And he's shown that he could do a little bit with the ball in his hand. I know that there's been some grumblings that he's like, don't send me to a team where I'm not when I, where I don't get to be Kobe, which I think is just <laughs> a strange request for a guy like that to be making um, ahead of a, a trade deadline. But I just think defensively, what he does as a switchable guy, um, which again we know matters in the playoffs. Uh, he provides some level of vertical spacing if you want to use him as a pick and roll man, like as the the guy setting the screen. I'm I'm super high on Jeremy Grant. Again, uh, you know, as you might know, I'm a big, big, big Hawks guy. And I think if they could manage to send a lightly protected pick or uh, I don't know that I would go as far as two, but a lightly protected pick, not so distant in the future, Gallinari's uh, salary and get Jeremy Grant in there. Now we're talking about Collins, Capella, Hunter, Grant, even Herter. Now we're talking about the level of defense and versatility in the playoffs. Mm, That gets me excited, okay? (laughs) A a, a quick aside. You tweeted out (laughs) earlier this last month, January, you tweeted out, Kevin Herter is really a five-tool player. That was on the night. That that night, you tweeted it. He had five points on five shots in 20 minutes with four fouls. What did did you mean by that? This is what I mean by that. that This is what I mean by that. (laughs) This is what I mean by that. Y'all remember Game Seven when he closed out the Sixers, right? So yeah, he does the Matisse Thibel foul. He hits the clutch shots. Yeah. Yes, he he does stuff on the ball. He's he's a shot. He he could create for himself, right? So that's a one. He has credible perimeter defense, like credible, because he's so huge and he moves his feet up. His he moves his feet just enough. Credible perimeter defense. Obviously, the guy can freaking shoot it. You know what I mean? Obviously, he's a shooter. And I just think, look, when it comes, because those freaking Nate was just, is just obsessed with bench mobs. And a lot of times I'm watching Dorian, like I'm I'm watching um, Wright just do all kinds of ridiculousness on the ball. And I'm just like, Lou Will has no pop anymore on the ball. And I'm like, why is Herder on the bench? When he could just be manning these units and soaking up these possessions offensively and being your creator, he has enough, a little bit of playmaking. Like, he just gives you a little bit of everything. He's not insane at anything, but he gives, he ticks off so many boxes. That's all I was saying. Um, 
You know he dropped like 30 the next game, though. Yeah, he did. He did. It's true. Okay, so, game, so, he, so he don't <laughs> and, and guess what? And here's another thing that the listeners are going get to get a laugh about. Um, my homie, who I went to high school with, uh, you know, we went to school in New York City, played basketball in the what used to be the legendary Catholic school league, the CHSAA in um, New York City. Obviously, we put out legends in the past, not so much anymore. And my homie texted <laughs> me and was like, yo, you know Kevin Hurt is only from like two hours from New York upstate. We get to claim him. So we claim him, <laughs> Kevin Hurt as a New York City hooper. That's how dire it's become. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. He's from Albany, New York. There you go. <laughs> so if you're wondering, my you're claiming Albany now. We, we, we have to. We have no other choice. How close is that to Canada? <laughs> no, 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 no. Stop no, no, it. That's no. Buffalo. That's close to Canada. Okay, Albany again is only about two hours, maybe okay, two and a half yeah, yeah. Right. from the city. We can we can okay, make an exception. Very, we make very exception. Close to mass. In Vermont. We make exception okay. for Westchester and Long Island guys all the time. We can do that for uh, Albany. I think our last New York City guy, our two last guys are Mo Bamba and um, both played for the Magic, by the way, and Greg Anthony's kid. Yeah, Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cole Anthony, yep, yep, yep. He's from New York, yep. So I don't know. I, I think it's fair. It's New York State. You can you have a New York State category and a New York City <laughs> or New York proper category. Yeah, that, that, that's very fair. But yes, to get but but to get back to Grant, I think Atlanta should be trying to do what they have to to get him in their building. So okay, so I'll follow up that with the with that with this. About a month and a half ago, I said the Jazz should go after Jeremy Grant. I have heard this week league sources told me that the Jazz are after Jeremy Grant and Harrison Barnes from the Kings. So there's been some stuff recently about the Utah Jazz looking for trades. Barnes and Grant seem to be two guys that they're after. Versatile wing defenders can play small with them. Um, you and I like have always been on different pages with Rudy Gobert. Uh, I think Gobert is the least of their problems. I think with Gobert, like he he is the center of the universe on their defense. The problem is that is that they have no perimeter stoppers. They have nobody who can get stops on the ball when Gobert is pulled out of the paint or when he's just off the court because he's resting. Whiteside is not like gonna survive in the playoffs in most series. And Rudy Gay at the five. Like, I'm sorry. I think the intentions are smart, but it's not gonna work. Heading a guy like Barnes and or Grant, to me, that that'd be massive for them in building a proper team around Gobert, Mitchell, and Conley. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think especially Grant. I don't know that Barnes, to me, feels like a guy who is better now guarding fours than he is at guarding wings. He just, you know, he just doesn't have that anymore. But what I will say about Rudy, here's the thing. Um, People were trying to kill him for that Clippers thing last year. I was at Staples or Crypto, whatever the hell we're calling it these days. <laughs> Um, when, by the way, KOC history was made that night, the Clippers went to the conference finals for the first time in their history. Mm -hmm. So I watched history be made, um, <laughs> and tongue in cheek, I tweeted, I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm watching basketball history right now. The Clippers are in the conference finals. But if you were at that game, what was happening was Reggie Jackson was just against to knife, just every single Utah Jazz perimeter defender. It wasn't, there was no resistance. So if I'm guarding a dude like Terrence Mann, who's been splashing corner threes for the last two and a half games, 
and I'm supposed to guard him out there, and you guys give me no chance to recover and, you know, contest on help side, you can't blame that on Rudy Gobert. They were Their perimeter defense was getting smoked. What My problem with Rudy in the past is Patrick Beverly's guarding you in the post at certain points. You know, isolation, like, that that's a problem, you know? Like, a guy one foot shorter than you should not be able to stop you in the one-on-one in post situations. You know what I mean? That's been my Rudy issue in the past. It's been on the offense. Defensively, yeah, they, they, they've done a better job making sure they funnel everything to Rudy and he's legitimately an eraser in that, on that end. Um, they have no real defensive players on this team. The only reason that they're good is but for one man, <laughs> okay, it's Rudy Gobert. So he definitely deserves his credit and his props for, you know, propping up what they do on defense. That being said, yeah, Jeremy Grant would be an extreme upgrade from everything they have as far as his length and his size as a wing defender. And he doesn't take that much away as a shooter, and he would help. It just sucks that Ingles went down because, you know, they still now need secondary shot distribution, right? Like, And Grant can do a little of that, man. Like, th- That's why he wanted Detroit, because he wanted to be the guy. So you won't be the guy with Utah. You're behind Mitchell and Conley in the totem pole, but you're still going to get some touches. You're going to get opportunities to get buckets in those end clock situations we've been talking about throughout this pod. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. And, and, and the truth, and another thing that people who watch enough jazz like I do they need somebody who isn't Mike Conley who will pass Rudy to goddamn ball. Like, and it, it like that's a great in the, point. In the past, it's kind of been Ingles, kind of sometimes. It certainly hasn't been Donovan Mitchell, another guy who I love. But bro, sometimes I'm watching these games. I'm just like, he's wide open, y'all. I, I get it. In the past, he had horrible hands and couldn't finish and all of that. He's made so many strides on that end. And he so clearly cares about it. Why don't you guys please make a concerted effort when this guy is rolling as hard as he can towards the basket to get him the ball? I think that's another problem they're going to face. That's that's what's yet to be unlocked is that Rudy, who is their highest paid player, who is, you know, some people say he's the best, some people say he's the second best, whatever you want to say. They, he doesn't have an impact on their biggest offensive possessions. And I think they need to figure out a way how to rectify that because, you know, we know it's not Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> we know it's, and it traditionally hasn't been Donovan Mitchell. And Mike Conley's been the only one to develop some chemistry with him in pick and roll. And with Mike Conley, it started out where they weren't throwing lobs because he never threw lobs to Marcus Ole, and now he's a lob guy. And with, with Gobert, I have the stat in uh, the Void video version that's going up on the Ringers YouTube page on Thursday, where uh, if you look at <laughs> shots taken within eight feet of the rim after dribbling once, so after dribbling at least once, maybe twice, maybe three times, uh, shots within eight feet of the rim for centers, Embiid, Embiid leads at 64%. Andre Drummond is last at 46%. This is the last three seasons, so a large sample. Gobert is sixth worst at 52% of near guys, Al Horford, Tristan Thompson, Nas Reed, Ennis Canner Freedom, Wendell Carter, Hassan Whiteside. That's the company that he's surrounded by for at-rim finishing after dribbling at least once. 
And that's not good. And that speaks to your point about him on the offensive end of the floor where he just has not proven that he can be a guy to defeat those switches. And I think for Utah, I don't think you're going to get that improvement from him. I think it's unrealistic to expect Rudy Gobert to be a guy who's suddenly shooting in the high 50% or uh, or even in the 60% range, like Aiton, 60%, Rashawn Holmes, 60%, Jokic, 61%, Zubats, Robin Lopez, 62, 63%. <laughs> like, I think it's unrealistic there. So the improvements have to come on the defensive end of the floor. And, and for that team, I mean, we'll see what they can do. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One other thought I wanted to pass your way, kind of a trade-related thought here, is with the Wizards, they're David Aldridge and Josh Robbins from The Athletic um, reported this morning. They've heard no indications that the Wizards are considering trading Beal, uh, but there's less uh, certainty about his intentions. I'm at a point now, Oz, where I think the Wizards, they, they should deal Bradley Beal. Uh, like, like no questions about it. You can't like with this crappy team you have going to free agency when 15, 20 plus teams are going to be after him, the threat of him forcing a sign and trade to the Knicks or the Celtics to play with his old friend Tatum or whatever team it might be, that threat's going to be really high. Like Washington should bail out now and, you know, build with a young roster. I, I feel like that path is an increasingly simple choice at this point, especially because Beal does not look like a guy worth a five-year supermax when your team is not that good. At all. Um, and, I, and I mentioned this on group chat earlier. He's not Embiid. He's not uh, Dame Lillard. Like, these guys that have been with the one team and have proven, like, just having me, vastly improves what you have. The years that you don't think you have a playoff shot, years that you don't think you have a viable team, a conference championship team or whatever, my play, my leadership, my franchise playerness has lifted this franchise to heights that didn't make sense, but for my greatness, right? Brad Bill ain't never shown anything close to that. I'd be getting off of... Brad Beal as soon as I can, especially when you consider that the Sixers trade is laying right there for you. And we know, the Sixers know, they would have to put in a lot more than Ben Simmons in that deal to make it worth Washington's while because this guy's way better than Ben Simmons. Even if you say, oh, Brad Beal doesn't have as much deal le- years left on his deal. Who cares? Brad Beal in the playoffs has showed you, I know how to pass, dribble, and shoot, fam. Okay, like I know, I know how to score. I want to score. I've I've shown myself to be an elite one-on-one creator in this league. You know, against some of the best one-on-one defenses. So, yeah, you could get a nice haul for Ben Simmons, and you should probably look into it. I think. 
I mean, excuse me, for Brad Beal and Simmons and the Sixers, whether it be Simmons and a bunch of future firsts or Simmons and possibly a maxi or possibly whatever, whatever you, you name it, give me Simmons, a bunch of future assets, and we could get this thing done. Yeah, I, I think teams that should go for it, you're right, Sixers, Knicks, Celtics, and teams that should like, at least think about it. You know, maybe you don't do it, but you think about it. If you're really desperate, the Kings, like if you're really desperate, oh, it's man. a bad move. The but <laughs> I'm just God saying, if you're the Pelicans, you're like, oh, we can sell Beal on playing with Zion, which I think would be a bad idea for them, but they should at least consider it. Here's the funny thing about the Kings. I remember talking to an NBA player once, right? And some GM came up and he was like, man, fuck that GM. He ruined my career. I was like, yo, what happened? Like, he was like, yo, I was doing, I was doing well, like having a nice little season. They told me I was good. I didn't have to worry about being traded at the deadline. Then they sent me to Sacramento. That shit ruined my career. Just going to Sacramento ruined his career. <laughs> this guy was under that impression. That's the feeling that people have about Sacramento. So Brad Bill, let, let's pray for you that you don't end up I mean, there. what was it earlier this season? Solomon Hill tweeted at Buddy Heald, you know, like, I'm sorry you're still in Sacramento or something like that. <laughs> Players just openly saying this stuff. And, I, like, it I, it sucks that there's a team fan base that has to deal with stuff like that yeah. being said by players. Never yeah. mind just media with East Coast, West Coast, big market bias. Forget about the media. But the fact players say stuff like that, that that's, I mean, the NBA interferes with, you know, bringing in Colangelo for Sam Hinkie tanking. I don't know. Like that, that just seems like more of a fundamental issue to me than in that situation. Speaking about fundamental issues, the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, let, let, let's say Waz. It's Waz week, okay? It's Waz mm-hmm. week. Let's say Frank Vogel gets fired and you got Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss. They give you a call and they say, it's your week. You're turning 35. We want to hire you, Waz, as head coach <laughs> of the Los Angeles Lakers. Coach oh, Waz. I like the sound of that. Coach oh, Waz. So, Coach, Coach, when everyone's healthy on the Lakers, what's your starting lineup? Man, um, if everybody's healthy, it's it's probably AD at the five, LeBron, Monk, mm. uh, Wayne Ellington. Ooh, oh, oh, you're fired. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, like, there are no good like, It's like there are no good choices. It's like How a about reason. Austin Reeves. Give me some Austin, Austin Reeves. Sure, in maybe Austin five. Reeves. Sure, why not? Sure, wh- why not? You know, Austin maybe that's Reeves, the finishing lineup, not the starting lineup. It's just like uh, you have to have a meeting with LeBron and AD and be like, look, like y'all gonna pay thirty upwards of thirty six minutes a night. Um, and y'all gonna have to carry this, basically. You guys are gonna have to bust your ass because it's obvious that this team has no, there's nothing reliable on this team outside of those two guys and Malik Monk's shooting. Um, in the previous iterations of this team, when you had Kuz, when you had AC, when you had KCP, they were guarding the hell out of people on the perimeter, right? Like, they were guarding the hell out of teams. Great on help side. Great in transition. You know, basically creating transition opportunities off of this defense. They had an identity. And then, of course, they had the LeBron and AD pick and roll at the end of games. It was just like, pick your freaking poison. This is deadly. 
Now, outside of LeBron, what is what does this team do well? What like what do they do well outside of just having LeBron and Anthony Davis? They have nothing. So when you ask me to construct a, t- a, a lineup that's ideal, like what are these pieces? Westbrook again, I think there's a version of him that's still a useful player, you know, but in this iteration of the Lakers, it just, it makes no sense to have the ball in his hands for high usage with the roster composition. Like, I'm going to give you the ball instead of LeBron James? How? how? <laughs> like, like there's no, there's no path for him to succeed. And so you basically have to relegate him to a non-factor. And then, you know, what are you doing? None? It's nasty. It's nasty, KOC. <laughs> I still think there's something there. Uh, I, I think there's something there. I mean, maybe they need one move. But, like, you have, you have LeBron and AD. You still got Here's those Here's my thing, too. He's never developed, like, an incredible chemistry with AD in the pick and roll. One, because... Russ, that is. Yeah, Russ. Yeah, yeah. One, because Russ... Let's face it, I know he's had high assist totals in his career. Not the greatest assist, like, um, setup guy. He's really not. His passes be so inaccurate. I just, like, like, not even that he's not sending it to the right guy. Even when he is, it's not in his catch radius a lot of times. It's right? not like Chris, like Chris Paul is, like, right on target. Right. Bull, bullseye. Jokic, it's like Jokic throws some of those crazy, like, he remember that pass Jokic had, like, right at the end of a game situation? Two guys on him to Aaron Gordon for a corner three. And it was, Across like, right where it needs to be. the freaking court, yeah. and the dude yeah. catches it right in his shooting pocket. <laughs> yeah, Russ, you got to reach to the side, up, down, low, a lot of the time, yeah. So you combine that with the fact that eight, I mean, AD's jump shot has come around in the last like 10 days or whatever a little bit, but like you combine that with the fact that AD is not a pop threat, hasn't been a pop threat all season in the games that he's been in. So it's like Russ can't shoot, AD's not making his shots, Russ is not an accurate enough and sort of savvy enough passer to throw it into tight spaces. And so that's been a non-starter to Russ and AD pick and roll. I, I don't know where this there's something there's supposed to come from. I'll tell you what, man. I, I think with the Lakers, their coaching staff has screwed up a lot in some ways. Like playing Avery Bradley as much as they have. Oh God, blows my mind. But he's such a scrappy get, defender. Yeah, you allegedly. gotta give him credit. Yeah, allegedly, you gotta give him credit for feeding Malik Monk. Though Monk goes from not playing a lot, taking eight shots per game to becoming a guy getting heavier minutes, getting 12, 13 shots per game, seven, eight, three-pointers per game. And with Monk, they should ride him in this starting lineup moving forward because you know the shooting that he can provide even if the defense isn't great. And I, I give credit to them for that. And I look at the the uh, another similar player that had a great December, Jalen Brunson with the Mavs. Jalen Brunson averaged 21 points and seven assists during that 10-11 game stretch when Luka was out. His numbers have fallen right back down to the way they did when Luca was there. He was taking 11.6 shots per game before Luca was out, 16 shots per game when Luca was out, and it's 12.1 times since. And it shows in the touches numbers, too. It's like, I, I think with Brunson, the way he performed, isolation, so efficient, pick and rolls, playmaking, like a team like that, they also should be leaning more into their good players that are performing well and investing in them. So I, I give credit to the Lakers there, but with 
the Mavs having Brunson become an unrestricted free agent in July this year when he hits the market, you got to start acting like this guy and investing in this guy like the player that many other teams are going to perceive him to be this offseason. The Mavs haven't done that yet with Brunson. It's frustrating for me. With all the chatter around his name, it feels like they don't view him that way. Yeah, they don't. Like, I don't know why that is, but it feels like they're just not very high on the guy. And look, I I, I think they should look to try to get some wing depth and just go all in on this, you know, heliocentric Luka thing. Just be like, all right, this is just what we're going to do. Opposite of what I'm suggesting here. I'm saying more Brunson, more, more off-ball Luka. No, just lean into it because clearly Luka doesn't want to do it. You know, he's gotten so accustomed to having a ball in his hand 24-7, 366. <laughs> you know. That's a shame. And so just lean into it. Give the guy what he wants. Get try to get in some guys that credibly guard on the on the perimeter and can make an open ju- jump shot and see where that takes you. But but dude, like Luca, pull up his Real Madrid video. That dude was so active off ball. His cutting, like he'd be he'd be waving his arms, cutting, setting screens. I don't know. Like I love watching Luke. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA to watch. But I don't know. The activity is so much lower off the ball, and I, I just I just imagine, and maybe it's unrealistic. But he used to be that guy. Maybe he can tap into that again. I imagine a world where Brunson's run a running a pick and roll with I don't know Dwight Powell rolling down the lane for lobs and Luca cutting off ball. I, I just think that there's potential there and it's just, it's, it's, it's not there. I mean, regardless, I thought, I thought there was potential for Russ to be a guy that could move without the ball, set screens, do pick and roll with LeBron, like be the screener in LeBron pick and rolls, right? Cut hard to the basket, be, you know, do be a heady player like Dwayne Wade was in the Miami Thank years. Thank you. Yes. Never Wouldn't saw that, that nice? though. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, uh, one other one other player I wanted to ask you about, uh, Fred Van Vliet on group chat. Uh, you guys did your All Star reserves. Fred Van Vliet's a guy that I would have as a reserve, but he's like one of those last spots where they're you know it's going to be tough for the the coaches to determine is is Fred Van Vliet a All Star on your team? Look, I love Fred Van Vliet. He was my last all-star cut, my personal cut. I'm a big Fred Van Vliet guy, but Miami being at the top of the Eastern Conference standings with injuries to their two best players, significant injuries, missed a lot of time, and Kyle Lowry basically being the glue that kept all of that stuff together and him taking on the role of facilitator. He's that close to career lows and PERs and points per game and all of that type of stuff, but... To me, the ultimate no-stats all-star is Kyle Lowry. The guy just does winning stuff all the time. You know, finding a guy when he needs to, picking up a foul when he needs to. Like, just doing all of that stuff in Miami's success, you know, such as it's been. I I, I just wanted to give Kyle Lowry some credit, but Fred VanVleet's been a better player this year, 100%. Lowry, over the course of his career, obviously, has been, I think he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Uh, but Fred Van Vliet this year has been a revelation. His, like Any daylight you give him, he's firing from all over the freaking court, taking Steph Curry-level bombs <laughs> from three <laughs> off the dribble. He's just been incredible. And if he would make it, I would be very happy because obviously it's always dope when you see a first-time All-Star. We see what it means to guys. They all get emotional about it. Um, 
But yeah, sorry, I, I, I picked Cal Lowry over him, and people can dump on me um, on Twitter or Instagram or wherever because people <laughs> people reach out to me on multiple platforms to diss my basketball takes. KLC, I don't know if the same thing happens to you, but it does. Oh, to me. totally. I mean, you get compliments and you get insults. It's all it's all part of the fun. I I, lo- I love the insults because the, having sports debate with your friends is a good time. Like I like disagreeing. Uh, but Waz, uh, where can people find group chat? Uh, where can people find full court fits? Plug your stuff. Of course, on the Ringer NBA show feed, check out group chats. That's every single Wednesday with my boss, Justin Verrier and Rob Mahoney. Of course, now we're doing Weekends with Wise with me and just guests from all over the NBA. We've had Amin El Hassan. We've had Ethan Strauss, Zach Harper. Uh, this, this weekend, we're going to have another dope guest. So check that out every single Sunday afternoon. And Full Court Fits every Friday on the Ringers YouTube channel. We do sneaker stuff. We do NBA fashion. We have fun. We have different guests from all over the place just having fun with it. So yeah, check those out. You hit your one year anniversary with the ringer yet? What, what did we officially no, hire you? I, I won't forget. be. I won't be. My first official date with the ring was May third, so we got we got oh, so, some. Okay, yeah, it just felt like I've been here forever. Oh, yeah, you, you're one of the the top additions of 2021. Ah, I appreciate uh, you. Uh, this man. is our first Thank full pod that. together. We did a green room once, and uh, maybe a green did a room couple twice. of green so, rooms. So with Bill, right? We did before, but couple of green rooms. Yeah. But this is our first proper podcast together. I'm glad we got to pop that cherry. <laughs> Look forward to doing another one, Waz. I hope you have a joy Waz week and happy early birthday, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Wozney Lambray for joining The Void. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. And thank you to you for listening to today's episode of The Void. I really enjoyed that conversation. I felt like Waz and I just flowed. It was a a good time talking with him, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, Please leave us a rating and review if you're listening on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show out a lot on the Mismatch Podcast feed. I'll be back on Friday with Chris Vernon, as always, and then back again next Tuesday, and then we'll have another episode episode of The Void and spin the wheel again with another week of the Mismatch podcast feed. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a fun day.